0: Good morning, everyone. It's Dave Meltzer here on Office Hours with my two pals, Dave Marino and Mikey Mamola. What's going on, boys? Hello. Good hello. morning. Happy, Happy morning. Friday. Oh, well, we are in for a treat. Uh, you know, Ben Jeffries, uh, obviously, Influencer.com, uh, is, you know, at the cutting edge of technology and one of what I think is one of the, the, the biggest mistakes that our media company made. Um, You know, I talk about ignorant arrogance and ignorant humility. Nothing will make you more ignorant and humble than TikTok. Uh, <laughs> and uh, from, from the very beginning of TikTok, uh, my mentor, Gary Vaynerchuk, told me to dive in with both feet. And, you know, although we were blessed to launch Ellie Zeiler in the backyard of my, my beach house because she looks like a, another TikToker, I, I just didn't see the audience uh, in my space, the middle-aged mutant turtle space, that is. And uh, recently, we decided to dive in with, with both feet. And I haven't had more success on any platform uh, than that which I've had in TikTok. The, the fastest I've gotten to almost two hundred thousand, you know, people engaged. But it, it's you know, it, it's a very interesting platform. But I think it, it is. Uh, so much potential for those that aren't in it yet. I, I still feel like in my genre, Ben, that I'm one of the first middle-aged mutant turtles in there and it's still a young person's game. Uh but to that end, this ignorant humility, uh you have, you know, your podcast, you have you know, this ability to utilize technology um with TikTok. And I was wondering, you know, how much of is it vapor and, and how much do you actually have the ability to assist people uh, with understanding the marketing of TikTok.
1: Yeah, so firstly, thanks very much for having me on. Um, Great to be on the show. Um, You know, TikTok's one of those platforms which obviously over the last years, we've just seen that absolutely immense growth. Um, I think with TikTok, they made a big, big shift last year. They did this great study where... Um, they wanted to understand the mindsets of people on the platform and the biggest mindsets that they were able to learn was that people who came to the platform, you know, they felt uplifted, they felt motivated, they felt engaged. So they pushed themselves more towards becoming an entertainment platform and you will see that in their, you know, their comms, they position themselves not as a social platform but an entertainment platform. Um, and you know ourselves influence influence influence.com we're a TikTok marketing partner Um, we work with them on helping to activate campaigns using creators there Um, and it's a really really exciting space to be in because I think you know TikTok as I said it's a place to be inspired it's a place to be motivated and we all know that you know when you go on TikTok you're in there for at least 15 minutes 30 minutes scrolling through that feed watching all those various videos
2: been really, really interesting stuff, and congrats on your success thus thus far. Obviously, the the influencer at, as a profession is something that is a newer phenomenon, right? Like when we were all in school, as like doctor, teacher, lawyer, fireman, etc. But now kids are aspiring to be be influencers with the rise of uh, social media marketing and, and companies like like your own. Where do you see the balance between like the genuine original content, and then the actual monetization for, for the influencers. So for example, I read yesterday, and this is in Mike's world, that Instagram is allowing influencers uh, to be able to create, sell, and mint their own NFTs. Um, how do you guide these folks through just genuine creating more content and then that monetization piece? Where's the balance there?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, especially, I mean, I'm only young, but when I was at school, we never want to be a sports star. Um, now you know everyone wants to be a YouTuber everyone wants to be a, an influencer. I suppose it's always best to say to them first like why do you want to be this? you know what is it that attracts you to becoming one of these stars? And you know, if often the reason sometimes comes from the monetary aspect, you then have to question whether they're actually going to be able to get there because it's not money that necessarily will drive someone to becoming there it's the passion for the content that they create. And that's the key part, right, the passion for creating that consistent content and being able to, you know, be regularly posting about what you enjoy and be regularly thinking with fresh ideas to help put your fan base, um, you know, actually relevant. And when it comes to, um, I guess, the opportunities, I mean, all the different platforms out there have different specialities, you know, TikTok's that short form content, YouTube's a slightly longer form content. And Instagram is obviously adapting to kind of absorb as many content types as possible with Reels. They launched literally a couple of days ago Instagram subscriptions, which is essentially their competitor to OnlyFans and Patreon. Um, and it's going to be huge. Um, so really, really excited to see, I guess, how the space develops. And yeah, fresh, I guess, monetary elements that, you know, that creators are able to earn on Instagram.
3: Ben, when it comes to those different platforms now, I think that we, we can all agree that the most important role, right, in being a speaker or an influencer is to know your audience. And when, when it comes to knowing your audience, aside from the time, whether it's short form, long form, is there any difference in the type of content? Like is, is Dave Meltzer, what, what's the instruction to influencers? Is it? I mean, genuine, being genuine radiates and resonates with people, right? So you have to be genuine. But do you mod- modify or tailor the content in any way uh, if you're on LinkedIn versus a TikTok? Or is it always exactly the same?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think, um, you know, LinkedIn. i oh, sorry, was that a question for David? Have I just butted in? That's for you. No,
2: no, that was for you.
0: <laughs> I, 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 was, I was wondering, too, for a minute there, the way it came across. But uh, yeah, that one's for you Bo.
1: That's for you, there, was, there was a little bit of a pause and i was like who's gonna go first but okay i'll take that one um yeah i mean you know for all of the different platforms you can't put the same content on right you can have long-form content which can then be made into bytes on different platforms of course um i think linkedin this year is going to be absolutely huge for influencer marketing it's going to be the b2b influencer marketing platform of choice i mean you know, they're being very aggressive in their um, growth in their creative solutions team. They've hired a lot of people from Facebook. They've hired a lot of people from TikTok. And they're launching a bunch of new different content formats as well. You know, obviously live on LinkedIn is great, but they're also doing, you know, audio groups, which is their, um, you know, challenge on Clubhouse um, and also spaces on Twitter. Um, so I think LinkedIn's going to be huge, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should be ignoring the other platforms because obviously TikTok's had this phenomenal growth this year. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, Instagram have got all these different types of content formats um, which have also grown massively. And going back to David's question earlier about you know like original content, um, I'm sure you've seen the news as well that YouTube have actually stopped their um, investments into YouTube originals, um, which is their actual you know content um, studio formats. But the reason they've done that is they want their creators to be investing their time into YouTube shorts which is obviously their short form content, which is similar to, you know, a combination of TikTok and a little bit of stories. So I think what we're gonna see is platforms or creators becoming, you know, specialists on these platforms and really growing their audiences on them.
0: And Ben, you have your podcast, Mentors, uh, and which is really funny because the first podcast that I helped was with uh, the Keller Williams team with Jeff Woods. And the, the first idea that, that he wanted to have was the mentor. And he wanted to have a, sh- a show with me years and years ago. And I said, hey, it needs to be the mentee and talk about all the lessons that you're learning because that's your generation. He was a millennial uh, kind of getting and transitioning from his pharmaceutical sales job into you know, blogging and in the te- technology and influencing world um, for you what's your objective on on the Mentors Podcast? Are you mentoring for entrepreneurship or for podcasting or for the influencer side or just any type of business advice and life advice that you can come about?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, over the the last few years um, in ScalingInfluence.com, my co-founder and I, Casper, we've we've had access to some incredible mentors, Um, mentors who have given us, you know, advice which has certainly helped us you know, scale influences where we are today, but learn um, from, you know, so many mistakes which they've learned from and pass over that information to us. So we basically wanted to launch Mentors as like an entrepreneurial podcast, um, which would, you know, give people um, access to mentorship from mentors that we've had, but also just mentors in, you know, in the general business space. Um, So we've done our first two episodes. We had our first um, with Michelle Romano, um, founder of ClearCo, um and she was on canadians dragon's den um and then we've done the second one which was with two british entrepreneurs one called jamie lang and ed williams um who are the founders of a sweet business called candy kittens um and we've got a bunch more episodes being launched every two weeks um but yeah it's really to give back that mentorship advice that we were fortunate enough to gain
2: yeah definitely paying it forward i think that's extremely important And, and thank you guys for doing that uh love for you to talk a little bit about influencer tech influencers.com's technology what you guys are doing in the tech aspect and and how it works
1: yeah of course so i mean you know the influencer space right now um i mean it's just growing at such a fast pace um you know advertising dollars are coming you know pouring into the industry but with that you know there's that level up of trying to you know be on par with other advertising formats you know like We saw this with the programmatic space a few years ago. We saw this with all the other types of advertising formats. So where the influencer space needs to be, it needs to level up in the types of reporting and the types of ability to manage activities at scale. So we launched this technology called Waves. Um, which essentially allows advertisers and agencies to manage influencer marketing campaigns at scale. So we're not talking about, you know, a campaign of 10 or 20 influencers. We're talking about managing campaigns of hundred, 300, 500 influencers all at scale um, in, you know, a neat workflow tool, which enables them to see all the creators information allows them to vet content um, quite rightly, and then actually see all the live data on all the campaigns when the data goes live. And as I mentioned earlier, we are, Meta marketing partners for Facebook and Instagram, but we're also TikTok marketing partners, um, which means that we've got direct API access to all of their first party data um, from the crazies.
3: Ben, what is it, aside from consistently posting, what is it that makes a great influencer? Is it somebody that's found their frequency that's, that's genuine to themselves, authentic, something in addition to that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think, you know, in terms of what makes a great creator, I think you know, it's someone who's found their consistency, but it's it's you know regularly one that interacts with their audience, and not just interacts with their audience, but it it, it understands what their audience are looking for next, right? Um, some of the best creators I know actually work with creative directors, and they understand trends as well. So they're not just necessarily understanding what their audience is saying to them, but they're understanding what their audience are saying in general and then they're trying to produce trends um you know and you know videos and content around that um which really helps make it relevant and that's what you know the you know that's what consumers want to see consumers want to find out about new things consumers want to see how creators are interacting with these trends um so it's being relevant on trends and you know taking things from that got it
0: yeah i think it goes back to the old sage advice of even speaking you know some people in i see this a lot with influencers they're more worried about what they say instead of what the audience is listening for. And the nice thing about TikTok, Instagram, and some of the other platforms, LinkedIn, is it's way more obvious what the audience is looking for or listening for than if you step on a stage <laughs> with a thousand people. Uh, it's much more difficult to know what that audience is looking for, which is you know, why I've been doing meetups for years uh, because that's the only way live i can figure out what audiences are listening for by the questions that they ask and the comments that they make and those are readily available uh to everyone on these platforms which is extremely valuable advice for an influencer Uh, you know, you can't beat your domain name. I can't even imagine how much that has gone up in value. <laughs> I wouldn't have invested in your, in your first round just because you owned influencer.com because yeah. uh, that, that's going to be a valuable asset 10 years from now. Forget how great waves is and all the other great things, your <laughs> mentorship podcast. So congratulations on the foresight and wisdom of securing that. The great Ben Jeffries, you've got to have your back, man. You are one of the MVPs uh, that is necessary out there to help people with their ignorant humility of not knowing what they don't know when it comes to being an influencer, marketing with influencers, monetizing influencers, knowing the market, the market makers and the margins that are available with influencers, CEO and co-founder of Influencer.com. Ben Jeffries, we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate uh, it. Great me. job, Cheers. man. Thank
0: you. My favorite thing about Ben Jeffries is he kept saying, Great question, great question, great question. So um, all, all we're nailing, all we're nailing points there. That was good. We're uh, just getting better. That's it. it. That's all I ask, right? Do your best, <laughs> learn lessons, and have fun. Uh, speaking of mentorship, uh, we have our friend Mike Cordini, he is the CEO of Product Mentor, productmentor.com. Good morning, Mike. How are you?
4: Good morning, David. I'm fantastic. Thank you you for having me. You look
0: like a guy that's fantastic. You know, when the the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins are running, you can tell right here on the screen, a guy that's fantastic compared to moderately decent working within the context. You know, I learned yesterday the mind wants to be mediocre from a a great Navy SEAL, uh, and uh, we have to fight that. You are definitely someone I could tell energy-wise. You're you're fighting the mind being mediocre. Um, I'd love to... Talk about the support uh, that you give to entrepreneurs. You know, mentorships—one of the most important things in my life. People ask me, "How the hell did you lose over a hundred million dollars?" I said, "Well, because I didn't have any mentors, and I thought I knew everything." Uh, and uh, now I make it a non-negotiable to have at least three mentors—people that sit in the situation that I want to be in. Uh, and it seems as if you've even productized uh, mentorship to assist people. What are uh, some of the advantages and disadvantages uh, uh, with product mentor and the entrepreneurial launch uh, that you have within the context of small business.
4: Well, thanks for the question, David. And I think similar to you, you know, having mentors throughout my life really got me to levels that I never really expected to get to. And a lot of it was just giving me the confidence to do things that otherwise I might not believe that I could actually do. And when you have a mentor kind of on the sidelines with the pom poms in the air, you know, and encouraging you and and somebody really that's already achieved the results that you're looking to achieve. And when you're able to align yourself with somebody already getting those results that you want, uh, it just becomes so much easier to get things Uh, and achieve things that normally you wouldn't be able to. And so similar to you also, David, I've had mentors my whole life, and I strongly encourage everyone, uh, whoever that mentor may be, because you have a lot of options out there, but get yourself somebody um, so that you can exceed uh, further in life. But uh, to your question, there's three different types of mentorships or three different levels support. And um, these are the three main categories or buckets. Um, And we'll start with the most basic and go into the most intimate. Uh, The most basic would just be your your typical uh, training. Uh, Hopefully it's something that has a lot of steps, um, something that has a regimen that you can follow very easily so that you can reproduce uh, the results and uh, achieve what you're trying to achieve. Uh, In our world, we focus on physical products, mobile apps, and most recently decentralized apps uh, with this exciting blockchain world that we see uh, more and more every day. Uh, So the step-by-step training, and this is typically for people that have a lot of time, but maybe they don't have a lot of capital. Uh, The second bucket, is what we call done with you. And a done with you mentorship, uh, as far as the time-money ratio, is somebody that has a little bit of capital and a little bit of time. So kind of a a medium on both of those. And this is somebody that wants someone to do uh, the work with them. Uh, Somebody that's actually going to get in the trenches and uh, get things done together. And then the final bucket is what we call done for you. And this is typically somebody that has a lot of capital, but maybe they're really short on time. And so they're, they're able to give more money and contribute more and actually have somebody set up their business, uh, get their product or their app to the point where it's about to launch or it is launching uh, before they actually take over.
0: Awesome.
2: That's tremendous. Uh, One thing that stood out to me on on Product Mentor's website, Mike, is is a super inviting statement. Transform your idea into a product or app. How do you quality control that statement? Because I feel like everyone and their mother and their cousin's uncle's friend has an idea. Um, What are you looking for as as an entry point? uh, and, And how do you help the really early stage founder who does have an idea and, you know, how do you guys help that materialize into a product or app?
4: And thanks for the question, David. So, you know, an idea is nothing without execution. And to your point, I think eight out of 10 people, if you were to walk into a bar or a coffee shop and ask them if they had an idea, you would get yes, 80% of the time. And if you ask them the second follow-up question, which is what's your execution plan, Uh, you'll typically get a blank stare, right? That's usually where they, they don't really know what to do. And so as far as the viability or feasibility of a new idea, this is something that we get asked a lot. And a lot of times, believe it or not, we don't even know. You know, we might have a general idea as far as the market size or whatnot, but we never try to guess what the customer wants. Uh, There's a concept that I learned um, in entrepreneurship school at my alma mater, USC, and I've carried that concept with me my entire life. And the mantra is, customer is king. And essentially what that means to me is that most entrepreneurs think they know what the customer wants and in fact they'll make a new business for what they want or what they think the customer wants and so we never try to you know have these delusional ideas that we know what the customer wants we'll actually run surveys and focus groups uh, to confirm that there is a product market fit and sometimes we'll think it's a great idea And the product market fit just isn't there. Those two variables aren't in alignment. And other times we think it's a wacky idea that doesn't have a product market fit. And the opposite happens, right? The surveys and focus groups actually determine that there is a really strong product market fit. So moral of the story is you always have to test the customer and their desires. Uh, We never think that we just know, even with our experience in launching products from the past.
3: Hey, Mike, good morning. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is, is betting on the jockey rather than the horse. And I know going back to when I was in charge of the hiring process at my law firm 100 years ago, uh, one of the things I used to talk about was I didn't focus on the resume so much. I, I, I almost didn't care what schools they went to and what their grades were. I used to tell my staff to really focus on character and personality, because that you can't change. We can teach them the skill set as long as they're willing to learn, and and so that's the jockey, not the horse. And you know, my question to you is, when you're discerning uh, who you're going to work with, which products you're going to work with, or which individuals, how much of it is the jockey versus the horse? I know one of Meltzer's one of my favorite things he had on Two Minute Drill. He had a, a quote something along the lines, or somebody had an idea, and he was like, "That is a great, great idea." I wish it wasn't yours. Uh, so is there <laughs> is there a selection process that you have where you say, this is a great idea, but this person will never be able to execute or vice versa? How much thought and consideration goes into that?
4: Yeah, that's uh, a that's really, great. really good question, Mike. Because, because we keep score. <laughs> the reason that's such an important question is because even if the idea does have a lot of merit, Uh, Life's too short to work with difficult people. And the person that we're partnering with is just as, if not more important than the idea. Um, Because to your point, you know, if we have to drag them by the ear or if they're going to be very stubborn and they're not flexible and they're not willing to pivot their idea as we learn more about the customer and the marketplace that we're going after, it doesn't matter how good the idea is because ultimately that jockey can run the wrong direction, uh, and, and not go into the end zone or or to the finish line. And so we put a great deal of due diligence into the person. Uh, we like to say you can always pivot ideas. It's not so easy to pivot people.
0: It's for sure. And, uh, you know, I noticed that you worked with uh, one of my oldest friends, uh, Greg Reed. Uh, yeah. Doctor. I call him Dr. Greg Reed. Uh, we, ne- we never know where he got his PhD, but he's a doctor. And uh, one, one of my great friends who I've seen the last two days by chance, uh, which is awesome. But you guys co-authored a book, Everything is Subject to Change, uh, which I think is the most relevant of all books and book titles that I, that I've seen. Uh, Because as we move from this intellectual type of pursuit in America built in the 50s of IQ, uh, going to the best schools to be trained very well for a nine to five gig into what became the emotional intelligence of utilizing what seemed to be change and quick change uh, into an adaptable intelligence uh, because everything is subject to immediate change. Uh, and I think at the forefront has helped me with that ignorant arrogance ignorant hu- humility because it's really humbling when you prophesize on Tuesday and your profit your, your prophetization uh, is completely false on Wednesday <laughs> And so uh, what's the premise for the book everything's subject to change and how do we best align or take advantage of accelerated change
4: so i uh, i'm impressed you did your homework um whenever uh, yeah, i see greg, my
0: boy's name i got to do something
4: yeah uh, greg reed is an amazing human being uh we've even had him speak at some of our live seminars before so great guy and as far as everything is subject to change um, you know, somebody taught me this saying a long time ago, and I've always stuck with it. And I think it encapsulates what that book is about. And that is the definition of survival. And the definition of survival to me is one's ability to adapt. And as long as, as a human being, as an entrepreneur, I mean, it can even apply to family life, right? As, as long as we're adaptable as long as we're flexible, uh, you know, I believe you can survive through any change uh, to the book's title. Everything is subject to change. The only change is constant. That, you know, cliche is so true, but to me, David, what it means is one's ability to adapt.
0: Easy enough. Yeah. Well, adaptability is important. Sorry, I got My Dave. Oh, I was just going to finish it up. If uh, that's okay. I, um, I just want to give you, you know, great encouragement to keep on forcing mentorship in the realm of, and I love the way you break it down into three areas of mentorship. I, I break it down into free group and one on one, which I think aligns with uh, how you do it. And I think as people build their brand as mentor, which has become a huge billion dollar industry, mentorship, uh, which I highly encourage and uh, and you know am very supportive of. Uh, that we utilize the different types of mentorship coaching and teaching uh, that all have different aspects a mentor being someone that sits in the situation you want to be in and can give you the directions on how to get there a coach to me is completely different uh, it's someone that brings the best out of you and may not know as much about what you know we see this in sports all the time the the golf coach or the quarterback coach isn't nearly as good as uh, but can bring the best out of Uh, some great talent. And then I think the most difficult, which is something that product mentor does is actually teaches it, uh, which, you know, is very difficult because of what we were talking about earlier. It's not what we say, it's what we hear. And to explain to a variance of uh, frequencies or a spectrum of people and allow them to understand the mentorship and coaching uh, is a whole nother realm. You do all three at productmentor.com. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We uh, uh, really are encouraged by what you're doing, and thank and say hello to my friend Greg Reed when you see him.
4: I will. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day.
0: You got it, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike Corandini, CEO of Product Mentor, ProductMentor.com. Another great domain, by the way. We got Influencer.com, ProductMentor.com. I would, you know, 1992 was offered a whole bunch of domains like the.com, it.com. I actually had budgeted $30,000 to buy thousands of domains, and uh, it's uh, one of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas of my life. I just got so busy working, I forgot to make money. Uh, but if I did that, nonetheless, I wouldn't be here. So uh, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I didn't do it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we have uh, another phenomenal guest, uh, Adam Hollander. He is here, the founder of Hungry Wolves. I think of Les Brown when I think of Adam Hollander. Do you know who Les Brown is, Adam?
5: I can't say that I do, no.
0: So Les Brown is is one of my mentors. Uh, He's a world-famous thought leader. Uh, He's probably written 30 books. He speaks around the world. Uh, He's an extremely inspirational and aspirational person. Dave, Mike, you guys know who Les Brown is. He's been on my TV shows, et cetera. But his whole thing is you got to be hungry. <laughs> so you gotta be hungry, and uh, you have a, a gamified NFT project that's hungry, hungry wolves. And i love to know how it works and how gamification has helped launch Hungry Wolves. Sure, <laughs> I finally got Dame Reno to smile. Good, he, he
2: pays me to laugh at his jokes, so I don't go flat.
0: You don't laugh at shit, man. Let's be honest, I don't pay you to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> he's he's like the straight man go
5: all ahead. right so yeah, we good to jump in
0: yeah go ahead yeah man. we we don't know what the hell we're doing we're good go ahead <laughs>
5: <laughs> so uh hungry wolves is a gamified nft project and so uh, people are hearing a lot in the space of course about nfts now and uh, they're being used as collectibles and art and uh, access and membership into communities and Uh, My background in particular uh, is in gamification. I uh, sold a software company to Microsoft a number of years ago that was a gamification platform that's now uh, embedded into Microsoft Dynamics. And so when I decided to launch my own NFT project, I really wanted to bring in a lot of what I had learned about uh, gamification and human motivation and competition into that project. And so um, the Project Hungry Wolves that we've created, you do buy an NFT, which is a, you know, generated 3D cartoon wolf that has a variety of different traits ranging from, uh, you know, its facial expressions to fur color, to background, to clothing, to any number of other things. And some are more rare than others. But once you acquire one of these NFTs, it becomes your game piece in an ecosystem that we're creating. And so you can join what's called a wolf pack, which is like a guild or A clan and, uh, you know, traditional MMOs and you can start to communicate and strategize with other holders that have hungry wolves that are similar to yours in terms of traits. We drop additional NFTs into the wallets of those holders called scrumptious sheep and little lambs and you can actually eat them with your wolf to earn what's called (laughs) dominance. Uh, The dominance can be used to upgrade the traits of your wolf and the way that it appears visually. Uh, You can challenge other wolves in the pack for their alpha status if you're, say, a beta wolf. And so we're building uh, just a series of game mechanics that create engagement and competition and rewards that are sitting underneath the initial foundation of just acquiring the NFT. Have,
0: Have you launched the limited edition, the hangover? Wolfpack,
5: <laughs> you know, we, we would love to get those folks involved in the project if they want to reach out to me, but we haven't just yet. Yeah, we could
0: get Jaegermeister to sponsor it. And uh, now that CBD is legal, we got a whole bunch of great sponsorship and endorsement to gamify it as well. So let, let me introduce you to those guys. Uh, oh, yeah, if you know it.
5: Zach Galifianakis, we we'd love to talk to him. That would be great.
0: Heck yeah, he'd be awesome. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, that, that's, re- that's really awesome. It's, it's like uh, for, for the 80s babies, like Tamagotchis going mainstream on steroids. It's essentially the same, same concept of that, but from back in the day. So fortunately, I have good friends like Mike Mola and Dave Meltzer who have uh, explained to me how NFTs work and why NFTs make sense. And, and I know you're you know another learned expert in the space. And it's funny, just this morning, I, was, I saw a meme and I was going to send it to Mike to kind of poke fun at him it's a guy sweating and crying. It's in In the cash and says when you go to work, uh, after you spent $400,000 on a JPEG eight. And I know that you are one of the original owners of uh, a board ape, and, and yours has got a pretty good value. Um, so for those who don't understand uh, how that makes sense and why anybody would, would spend that kind of money on what they are saying is a JPEG pixelated picture of an ape i would love for you to just expand on that yeah i'd be
5: happy to well let me start for just 60 seconds and explain a little bit about what an nft is because there's probably a lot of people that are still trying to figure that out Um, you know imagine you walk into a museum and you see a beautiful painting up on the wall now you could take a picture of it with your phone you could go into the gift shop you could buy a print but neither of those are going to be worth very much the reason that the painting that's up on the wall is worth what it is, is because it's the original and you can prove that it's the original. Now with digital assets, whether that be a picture or a photo or a music file or a video or a picture of a cartoon ape, What it comes down to is that it's traditionally been very difficult to discern the difference between an original asset that, say, was created by an artist or a company or anyone, and copies of that asset. Because when you right click and save and copy a digital file, it's identical to the original. And so that's made it very difficult to value assets that are digital until now. Because with NFTs, you have now infallible proof of ownership of digital assets that's tracked on the blockchain. And that has really major implications for a variety of markets where it's important to be able to prove that you're holding an original authentic asset now when it comes to your question of you know well why would somebody buy an nft or why would somebody spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on an nft which is a whole nother conversation really it comes down to a couple of things one is that these generative collections like board apioc club are far less about the image or the asset itself and much more about really the membership that it represents. And so when you own a Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT, it really is your key into a very exclusive community. And that community has thousands of individuals that network with one another and help one another. And there are digital and physical benefits for being part of that community. You have folks like Tom Brady and Jimmy Fallon and Snoop Dogg and Steph Curry and others that all own Bored Apes and are part of that community. And so part of buying any NFT is speculative investment and believing that it will go up in value. But the reason for that speculation is because most of these collections are capped. And Board Ape Yacht Club, for example, there are 10,000 Board Apes. There'll never be any more than that. And as more and more people desire them and want to be part of this community or want access to the digital or real world benefits that come from holding one of those NFTs, the membership, then that basically means that supply and demand economics come into play and the value increases. And that's why you've seen the value of Bored Apes go from a few hundred dollars a year ago to hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars today. Um, you could argue one way or the other that, you know, that makes sense or doesn't. What I would also say to you is that we are really evolving, you know, the Internet, you know, the world, towards an inevitable metaverse. We are going to have a digital landscape where people can interact and play and learn and work and conduct commerce and live portions of their lives. And as we move in that direction, and you know, today we go on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and that's you know essentially the way that we interact digitally, but eventually it'll be much more interactive than that. As we move towards that, people are starting to care just as much about the way they represent themselves digitally as the way that they do physically in the real world. And so the same way that you might buy a nice watch or a nice car to, you know, flex in the real world, people are starting to buy very expensive NFTs and be able to do the same thing in a digital landscape. And we're moving in the direction where eventually billions of people will participate in that metaverse. And when there's only 10,000 bored apes that Kind of supply and demand uh, balance is something that makes me very bullish, and why I believe that some of them are very good investments.
3: I absolutely agree with you, Adam, and I, <clears throat> I see it. You know, the pendulum has begun to swing. It's it's gone from historically a uh, society where we are um, we are conflicting in, in trying to to outdo the other guy. It's swinging over now to collaboration, right? Community. You mentioned how if I help you win, you help me win, we all win. The rising tide raises all ships. And with regard to gamification, I don't think we can overstate the importance of it. It's interesting. I'm here in Miami. I was with some friends and, and associates that I'm working on a crypto and NFT project with yesterday, and we were talking about uh, Yukai Chow and, and octalysis and gamification and how important that really is. And when you mentioned Board Ape the community, uh, we saw it with NFT Basel where life itself has become gamified through like BoardAbe Yacht Club and through your project and others where Who's having the coolest events? Who's having the coolest yacht parties? Who can get in? And that's all, like you said, a result of being part of whether it's board ape or your project or another. What are the things that you look for specifically <clears throat> in being able to enhance that gamification to say this is what we're gonna do? Because we gamify everything. You see this show, right? We keep track of great questions. What things are you doing specifically to get you to that, you know, that level of board ape? Because it's really exciting. You obviously have the experience to do that.
0: Well,
5: thank you for that. Well, first of all, let let me make a comment, which is, you know, if you can't tell from the uh, furniture behind me, (laughs) I'm a a bit of a nerd. And so I've been playing, you know, mass multiplayer games like World of Warcraft for a very long time, or at least at points in my life where I had more time to do so. Um, When you join a guild inside of those kinds of games, it creates this sense of community or belonging that, um, you really don't experience in a lot of other aspects of life. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I've got a you know loving wife and two beautiful kids and lots of friends <laughs> and family. I'm very lucky and blessed in that regard. But, you know, when you're playing a game for hours a day and you're strategizing and engaging, you build relationships with these people. And there's a lot of people in life that have never really experienced that um, you know, in terms of a club or a guild up until now when they're starting to get into these NFT projects. And, you know, my own project just yesterday, uh, somebody asked inside of the Discord. They said, hey, I'm applying for a new job. And, you know, I you know, just put my resume together for the first time in a while. Could anybody take a look at it? And four different people, myself included, all jumped in and said, we'd be happy to do that. You know, let's help you out. And candidly, I get hundreds of messages on LinkedIn every day that I don't pay any attention to, but I was more than happy to spend five minutes of my day to help somebody out that was in the discord from one of my projects. And so what it comes down to is this sense of, you know, community and belonging is really transferring out of, you know, the realm of just digital gaming and into NFTs. And people are starting to really understand that when they own certain NFTs and they jump into that particular community, there are hundreds, thousands of people that are willing to not just talk to them about NFTs or that project or driving the value up, but willing to talk to them about their life and willing to help them out in ways that, you know, really transcends the reason that they might have bought in in the first place. And that to me is something that is just really so essential when people are understanding, well, why would I buy an NFT? I could just right click and copy the picture onto my desktop and now don't I own it? And they, you know, move on with their life. It really isn't about that. Um, yeah. Now, to your point in terms of the gamification, you know, what are we doing to, you know, drive value of the project forward? You know, for me, a big part of building my project was that sense of community. Um, if you were to go into the Board Ape Yacht Club Discord, it's actually very hectic. Um, The Discord streams, you know, a mile a minute. It's hard to get a word in edgewise. And um, there are other ways that you engage folks in that community. I've met dozens of them digitally. I've actually met a handful in real life and met up with them for coffee. And so there are definitely ways of engaging. But it's challenging when there are thousands of people all talking at the same time. And so what we tried to do with Hungry Wolves with this Wolf Packs concept was allow everybody inside of the broader project to join one of 10 Wolf Packs. And that really creates micro communities inside of the larger, very much like guilds or clans inside of MMOs. And we're creating game mechanics that are going to require them to strategize and work together to give them reasons why they might really engage with each other and learn more about each other and hopefully start building real and lasting relationships. And as we continue to build more mechanics and um, some of those mechanics in the future will allow more and more people to come into the project, even whether they're you know, holding wolves or not. And those are things that really excite us as we're really trying to build a platform that brings people together and allows them to build these kinds of communities.
0: Within those communities, what makes it so amazing is you really have a handle because of your background, I think on the collaborated coordinated movement that's necessary that people desire. Uh, And you've mentioned it several different times in several different ways. Um, And to me, what's so exciting is NFTs, you know, just like the internet is a better way to search things uh, NFT is a much better way uh, to utilize assets and uh, what I think people get confused at because we're still pre-chasm is that just the same as any asset a baseball card or a building a piece of art uh, that some aren't worth shit in fact most of them aren't worth shit The ones that don't utilize collaborative, coordinated movement, create a community and a value with supply and demand, understanding market, market makers and margins are going to fail. But there's no doubt that NFTs is a much better way to handle assets the fractionalized ownership, the democratization, the reconciliation between reality and the metaverse, as well as. Uh, the fractionalization that occurs in the tracking and the authentication. These are all things throughout as you study history and finance and commerce uh, are extremely valuable and allow for the collaborative coordinated movement to occur. And so Adam, I want to commend you as well for having such a great grasp on it. I love the idea. First time I've ever heard of micro communities because that to me uh, is probably the most compelling event of the hungry wolves and I'm gonna send it over to Les Brown for an endorsement uh for you. we will get you a, a recording from one of the world's thought leaders about being hungry uh oh, we would love creating that. a supply and <laughs> demand. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Uh and I can't wait to see I'm gonna check it out. HungryWolvesNFT.com. Take it from a guy that understands how to utilize a better way of doing things. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks so Adam.
5: much.
0: You're awesome. Thanks. I like him. <laughs> yeah. It reminded
3: me. Maybe I'm dating myself, and some of the audience won't know, but uh, it reminded me of the old Duran Duran song. Do you remember that one? Hungry, am I, am I yeah, hungry like yeah, hungry like the wolves. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, But I, I, I think the most po- poignant thing for him was the the micro community. But uh, takeaways for the day. Who's going first?
2: Yeah, Mikey.
3: Yeah. Mikey. So for me, Dave, you you highlighted it um, when you talked about emotional intelligence. But for me, it's the the critical importance of human connection. And that cannot be overlooked. It doesn't really matter how smart you are, how, how high your IQ is and, and everything else. If you really want to succeed in life, focus on emotional intelligence, but really focus on the profound importance of human connection, whether it's influencer.com. If you want to influence people, you're, you're connecting with them or you're not. The more you connect, the more you'll influence. And the same thing with product management, the same philosophy. And then again, as Adam just talked about with community, it's that connection between and through each other. So that's for me the, the biggest, clearest uh, takeaway. And, and I think it's really important.
2: Yeah, um, that's a great takeaway, Mike. I think for me, it's simple. Uh, there was there was uh, a common thread between Mike, Ben and Adam, and it, it's about paying it forward, you know, uh, between mentorship and, you know, obviously Adam talking about jumping in to help with the resume assistance. You're not gonna always be able to pay it back. So just pay it forward.
0: Nice. And I, you know, for me, it was mentorship just in general as a takeaway. Um, and, you know, understanding mentorship with change, uh, because for example, a guy like Bob Proctor, who's 80, turning 87 years old, there's great lessons to learn, but it doesn't mean that I agree with all of, you know, his, uh, knowledge and his experience, uh, you know, because he's not involved in everything. And, you know, Mike and Adam, you know, they depend on mentorship. They depend on it. But not everyone can mentor everything. And because of this accelerated change, we have to find the people that sit in a situation. And sometimes they don't look like, feel like, or sound like the wise sages like the Les Browns or the Bob Prockers. They look like a Casey Adams, you know, and, you know, But Casey Adams knows so much more about certain things than Bob Proctor. But we still, just like uh, Adam, um, we still need to reconcile, you know, where and what is important because, you know, Casey Adams doesn't understand human nature like Bob Proctor does. Casey Adams doesn't understand structure and business markets, market makers and margins like Bob Proctor understands it. But then again, you know, Bob Proctor doesn't understand podcasting like Casey Adams does, who, by the way, is only 21 years old. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think mentorship to me in all forms is the takeaway. And we had three extraordinary mentors in multiple forms, Ben, Mike, and Adam. But as always, blessed to have incredible insight and lessons today here about very important uh, for me topics and business issues for all of us to make money, help people and have fun. I will uh, hopefully see you guys very soon. Training, as you probably know, is 7 a.m. now on, on clubhouse. So I get an hour off between these shows uh, to hang out with my family. Uh, David, Miguel, thank you so much. We'll see you guys soon.
3: Thank you. Happy Friday, guys.
0: Happy Friday. The incredible Mike Mamola and Dave Marino uh, on their way. Uh, Remember, everyone, training today, we have a little bit of Q&A, a a little bit of mentorship training itself, how to mentor, how to be a mentor, what the great questions are, how to come prepared uh, for a mentor, how to utilize your time in an efficient, effective, and statistically successful way. You can reach out to me, uh, david at dmelzer.com. We got the New Day Resolution, New Day Resolution Challenge, and more importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you in an hour and 10 minutes. Thanks.